Hello. Hello. Hi. How y'all doing? Are you good? I'm good. Are you just, good? I was imagining if like, imagine I was in a really bad mood making the podcast and we were like, hi. Hi. Here's some facts about summaries. Yeah, here's history. <laughs> I, I don't speak like that when I'm angry, by the way. Like growling. <laughs> um, you should Fee's voice was bad during the week. My voice was very bad. I had to go away and get a COVID test. We're but negative. It was negative. It was negative. Yay. Yeah, I'm like negative baby. We're together. I'm um, no, negative, negative baby. So that's good. Yay. Excited. Happy days. I'm so happy. Yeah, I haven't actually had to have a COVID test at all yet, but I like It's very, very simple. Mm. Very simple. You just drive up in your car to wherever you're meant to be, and the people that are swapping are so nice. Um I had a really nice gentleman, I think his name was Greg. Gregory. And he basically just, yeah, <laughs> okay. did it really quickly, didn't hurt me at all. Like a lot of people are very uncomfortable with it. I understand yeah, I that, know. but it's quite an invasive, like in in lots of ways. But look, um, you're negative, and that's all that matters. That's what matters. I can yeah. do the podcast in person with you. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, she's delighted. Hate to have doing me it over Zoom. <laughs> yeah, I just I just love having you here. She does. With she's great. Loud she typing. Me, she makes me coffees. <laughs> she puts up with my loud typing and my eagle hands. Oh my yeah, she okay. puts up with my slurping. I mean, guys, get you a Claire. <laughs> Get you a Claire in your life, but I'm actually plotting your demise. Just it's just a well, slow pro- process. I'm a bit concerned. All right, so I came across a piece of paper on the way in the door, and it was just like a stick figure, and it was me. It looked really like me. Imagine it resembled me. Imagine I had like a voodoo doll with just pins in it, and my hair for some reason. Yeah, just you've been collecting my hair. Okay, that, that would, would be, be insane. I'm yeah, not that bad. Yeah, but I mean, it's very traditional, just like our topics today. Yes, it is. Indeed. I'm going to do. I think it's my turn to take the actually corner. Oh, yes. So my actually, actually fact of the week mm-hmm. is um, in the Bible. So in the Bible, the tradi- in the book of Genesis, the tradition. Oh, my um, favorite. The tra- <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite <laughs> chapter in the Bible. Uh, my <laughs> the the tradition goes that Adam and Eve were tempted to eat um, an apple, mm-hmm. and that they ate an apple, and then God got mad. And there was like all this drama. <laughs> God was like, get, get the hell out of here. And, um, but it's actually not mentioned in the Bible that the fruit is an apple. It's just called, it's just forbidden fruit. It's the fruit Ooh, from the tree of knowledge. I did so not there is catch no, on. um, there is no mention that the fruit is actually, actually. It could have an been apple. a disgusting, like, it could have fruit. been like, oh, what, what are those trees? big, oh, that's a vegetable. Imagine this is a giant pineapple. Ooh, oh, Eve's actually. just like facing down God, just eating it defiantly. Just like, yeah. She didn't even cut it or I'm peel it. it. Yeah, she's, she's just, just biting right into it, thorns yeah. and all. <laughs> Are there thorns on pineapples? No, they're just a bit spiky. Spiky, exactly. A bit like me in the morning. Spiky. (laughs) (laughs) It's the fact I remain silent. I was like, I think the funny thing as well is I'm actually, I'm I'm a morning person. I'm not, I'm very happy in the morning. I've been. I'm I'm happy some mornings and other mornings. It just takes me like, I'm with the students. I'm on their same wavelength. We're all just waking up together. Yeah, like I might be a bit tired and a bit like out of it, but I'm not... Grumpy. I'm not grumpy. No, I'm not a grumpy morning person. I wouldn't be unless I come down to the kitchen and the cat has knocked all the eggs off the workshop, you know, yeah. top for Usually like the Usually one of the cats has done something in the yeah. middle of the night. Yeah. 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 Cats <sighs> are going to cat. Okay. Uh, my topic this week. <laughs> just going to move on. Imagine this turns into group therapy for everybody who owns cats. All spawning from a reading just, of Genesis. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, imagine in the book of Genesis, it was just a cat, like, there was just a cat in the background of all, like, historical. 
everything just, bad that's happened in history there's just, just a even cat. like he's just manning the ark for noah just and a it's black just and white like cat. if you look at like every event in history and you look closer and you just see a cat lurking <laughs> in the background and the realization is like you know that song music <laughs> okay i've gone <laughs> so we haven't even started yet um so my <laughs> <laughs> okay. What the hell? It would be catastrophic. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, that was terrible. Um, I was watching a pretty terrible movie, but very entertaining. It has to be said. It's not terrible. It's just kind of if you were Japanese, I'd imagine you'd be quite offended by it. Um, called The Last Samurai, starring Tom oh. Cruise. And of course, like Tom Cruise goes over and he becomes a samurai and he becomes like the best samurai. Of course Tom, he does. Because white Tom man. Cruise. Yeah. White man strolling oh, on into another God. culture yeah, becoming the such best a thing bang ever. of white saviorism off it. But anyway, look, I won't, I won't go into it. I, I did watch it. It is entertaining. How could they accept him into the samurai? I don't oh, understand They do. That. They do. Because he's just that good. He's, oh. He demonstrates bravery in battle. So my topic <coughs> today is going to be about the samurai because they are... Um, really interesting i was going to say fascinating but um i somebody said it in the dms that what? the way we the way i say actually we actually say fascinating like that as well and i'm like <laughs> we do we do fascinating i i do um, apologize in advance i do still have a cough so it's about to come out and i'm so sorry at least well if they can put up with my <coughs> if they can put up with my nasal voice every week like hey i don't oh, know sorry they can definitely put up with your cough coughing <laughs> Every time I cough in some other alternate dimension or universe, you become a, mil- a millionaire. Who knows? Oh, you might win the lot of Well, certainly no. not in this universe. You never know. Okay. It might be you. Could be you. Um, right, Samurai. So um, who were they? A lot of people listening will know a little bit about them. And lots of the kind of um, things that you know, a lot of it is actually true, which makes them even more interesting. The film was criticised a little bit in Japan for kind of glamorising them or romanticising them quite a lot. Because mm-hmm. the Samurai, while amazing in so many ways, were also known to be quite corrupt and quite duplicitous at times. And um, there's lots of examples in history of like Samurais like betraying their um, lords and things like that. But at the same time, oh. there's also a lot of things, a lot of the things we know about them that are factually correct. When they so, betray, sorry for interrupting you. I, uh, you know, when they betray their their masters or whatever, mm-hmm. do they become Ronin or something? Isn't it the Ronin are ones who haven't a master, so mm. they're not like um, they're not attached to anybody. They're like free agents, which I'll get to them because I have them um, explained cool. as well. So the samurai were a Japanese warrior caste. Um, they kind of were really relevant in Japanese society and respected during Japan's feudal period. So that ranges, it's long, it goes from the 12th century to the restoration of the Meiji as emperor in 1868. And that's the period in The Last Samurai that's that's being um, described on screen. Um, <clears throat> I need to stop referring to that movie because it is just not historically accurate what, what whatsoever. What I find funny is that it's like because he's the last samurai. Oh, God, it's the last samurai. Yeah, it was Tom Cruise. Of course it was, yeah. <laughs> Um, so the feudal system was abolished in 1868 with the restor- restoration of the Meiji um, Emperor. Okay, but uh, they've it's continued to the samurai. They've continued to have a huge influence on Japanese culture and society, even with a lot of their kind of um, practices still permeating Japanese kind of like um, etiquette today. So who exactly were they? Really good comparison for anybody listening to this who might be a little bit confused about them. Um, they're kind of akin to knights in medieval Europe. That's the way I'd look at it. So essentially they're assigned to, um, they're called 
I think so it's D-A-I-M-Y-O-S so I'm going to say Damios um, who are like lords they're the same as lords in medieval Europe and these Damios then in turn were vassals to the Shogun and his Shogunate now the Shogun was basically a military dictator in Japan and the Damios then are his loyal kind of lords and obviously to keep the peace they needed warriors so they needed like um, military might okay now, the emperor is still there during the shogunate period, during the feudal period. Like, the emperor never really goes away. It's just that his power is kind of reduced. So his power is largely kind of ceremonial. The shogun is the one with the real influence and power. So he's essentially the de facto leader of the country. Although he is still appointed by the emperor, he is still subservient to the emperor, but he does wield a lot of influence. The daimyo were given land and wealth by the um, shogunate. So the, the shogun then, so we say if it's the emperor at the ceremonial top, even though he doesn't actually have that much power, you then have the shogun as the real rulers of the country. Under them, you have their lords and under them, you have the samurai class. I like this. So um, the shogunate had to um, protect themselves. Um, <clears throat> the day, So they, what they did is they just, yeah, they had a lot of loyal lords. The loyal lords then were given... Um, land and wealth but in turn had to provide protection okay now and some samurai of course yes yeah, so some of the most famous samurais and i'll get to one of these later on he didn't um like he wasn't um assigned to any particular lord and they're the ones who are called ronins mm. so they're the kind of ones who roam around freely um which it kind of goes against all that a samurai stands for in lots of ways. But again, I'll get to that. Okay. Uh, in Japan, Japanese, they're typically referred to as bushi, which is, means a warrior. But the words are kind of interchangeable. Like we would tend to call them samurai. Some people, Jap- Japanese people will recognize the word samurai, but they'll also call them bushi. Um, <clears throat> and I read this and I love this so I included it. The wealth of a samurai in feudal Japan was measured in terms of koku. So one koku was supposed to be the amount of rice it took to feed one man for a year was equivalent to around 180 litres. So they're um, much like the Celts in Ireland, whose wealth was measured by cattle, theirs was measured by rice, which is pretty cool. I like rice. I like rice That living would suit me down to the ground. Brown rice, fried rice. I'm not the biggest fan of bread. I prefer white rice, white basmati. Mm. rice sushi rice is divine sushi rice oh my god it's so um it's just it's gluten-y yeah. it's gl- exactly it's just claggy like yeah. it's just yeah oh god yeah it's just divine um the samurai associated very much with he- very heavy armor so like there's lots of photographs and pictures of um <clears throat> samurai armor and paintings as well they look so cool though. they look it's really frightening like it's very um intimidating Every time I see it, I'm like, geez, if you saw that coming towards you in battle, you'd that just might, be... That might work for me in, in school. Going into class in <coughs> samurai armor? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, they're also associated, and uh, this guy that I keep referencing without using his name, because I'll get to him <laughs> in a while, the most famous of all samurais. He's the guy who kind of... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's the guy who kind of started this, the association of the samurai with two swords. So carrying two swords. Okay, so the, the, the big sword and the little sword and collectively called the Daisho, which mm. literally translates to big little, which is so cute. So the they're really heavily associated with katanas. So obviously yeah. the large sword being a katana. Katanas are um really cool swords. They're so long. They're just so bloody... Sorry, I just have such a... I'm, I'm a little grumpy this evening because I was going to be like, I've such a bee in my bonnet about, you know, 
fucking eagerty western teenagers oh, getting buying like, themselves katanas and putting them on their walls oh, i mean you're no sephiroth people it's just so it's pathetic yeah <coughs> it's like um, you heard me it's pathetic it um, is though it's just like why why do you have yeah, a big just, long sword like no they that? are beautiful to look at i certainly have a ad, an admiration for them but like buying them and hanging them on your wall not so much Mm-mm. especially because they have been used in like crime and things like that yeah and, yeah. yeah yeah um Horrible. so the bigger sword is called the katana the smaller sword <laughs> is called the wakizashi and uh, that's the like the little one mm-hmm. um okay so that's one thing we also think of the their code of honor and that's kind of what they're most um kind of known for it's very analogous to the code of chivalry again in europe so it's called bushido their code yes. of honor it's really heavily influenced by kind of zen buddhism um there's lots of different iterations of it because it changed over time so i'm going to go through two of them because i think they're both really beautiful the first one here there's in both of them there's kind of eight central tenets so eight kind of um ways that they live their life and they're encouraged to live their life so the first one here the eight tenets are sincerity so do not lie do not be insincere do not be superficial okay that just would not suit me whatsoever. <laughs> I'm like, I love your skirt. <laughs> and that armor, it's amazing. <laughs> um, responsibility, so do not be obsequious. Frugality, do not be greedy. Okay, I'm out again. <laughs> Politeness, do not be rude. Do not slander. I, I'd be oh, okay there. Lovely. Modesty, do not be boastful. Do not be arrogant. Okay. Loyalty, do not be unfaithful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you hear that, Jay-Z? Did you? Hmm? Um, harmony, be on good terms with comrades tranquility do not be overly concerned with events okay i find that really do not be overly concerned with events like it's so vague like imagine you're like somebody's flying at you with like and you're like i'm not allowed to be overly concerned with events somebody's like <laughs> flying through the air with like two katanas about yeah. to chop your head off <laughs> i think you'd be allowed to be overly concerned with that event but that's <laughs> why they death. seem so cool and calm and collected exactly yeah and um finally compassion show concern for one another be compassionate with a strong sense of duty so don't be overly concerned with the event of a friend stubbing their toe but be compassionate yes, yes exactly balance yeah they had this that was the whole thing as well about being kind of like um resilient and mm. like cool about stuff yeah now this one is another um this uh, these ones were the eight virtues of bushido as defined by Natobe inazo so the first is righteousness mm. be acutely honest throughout your dealings with all people believe in justice not from other people but from yourself i really mm. like that i think yeah. that's lovely to the true warrior all points of view are deeply considered regarding honesty <laughs> justice and integrity warriors make a full commitment to their decisions okay i mean that's kind of encouraging warriors to be a little bit stubborn yeah which i don't like yeah it's, <laughs> imagine being his wife at home he's oh like God, i God. have to commit to my whatever to my decision to not pick up the towel after myself you'd be like 100% committed the next one is heroic courage so hiding like a turtle in a shell is not living at all turtles Turtles are very offended (laughs) (laughs) I can live for 150 years if I want (laughs) a true warrior must have heroic courage it is absolutely risky it is living life completely fully and wonderfully heroic courage is not blind it is intelligent and strong Mm. I like that one too strong sorry and musical yes you are not allowed to sing but you must be 100% committed to the act of singing cabaret um, the next one is benevolence and compassion so uh, or in Japanese jin so 
through intense training and hard work, the true warrior becomes quick and strong. strong. They are not as most people. They develop a power that must be used for good. They have compassion. They help their fellow men at every opportunity. Mm. If an opportunity does not arise, they go out of their way to find one. I feel like that's like throwing you into traffic and then rescuing you <laughs> from the traffic. <laughs> like, hey, we'll watch out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Then there's respect. Why am I singing like a cat who's like assaulted? Okay. So true warriors have no reason to be cruel. They do not need to prove their strength. I love that. Yeah. Okay, listen up, men in nightclubs who fight and take off their tops. And I follow them around going, World Star! (laughs) (laughs) Warriors are not only respected for their strength in battle, but also by their dealings with others. The true strength of a warrior becomes apparent during difficult times. I'm just realising how much the The sound is changing whenever we laugh. We're sorry, sorry, people's ears. Um, Honesty. When warriors say that they will perform an action, it is as good as done nothing will stop them from completing what they say they will do. This sounds really passive aggressive. It's like, <laughs> so like having, it sounds like I'm having a dig at someone listening. Yeah, do you hear that, do you? Imagine, you hear that I don't say know. It, do you? <laughs> it's like, say they'll do what they say they're doing, yeah. Yeah, commit to it. It's kind of like, hey, little kid, I promise you, we'll win that game tomorrow night for you. And then it's like, you don't. I mean, ox, yeah. ox. I love this. They do not have to give their word. They do not have to promise. Speaking and doing are the same action. Mm-hmm. Boom. Do you hear that, people? Yeah. The yes. next one is honour. Warriors have only one judge of honour and character, and this <coughs> is themselves. Decisions they make and how these decisions are carried out are a reflection of who they truly are. You cannot hide from yourself. Okay. Second last one is duty and loyalty. Mm-hmm. Warriors are responsible for everything they have done and everything that they have said and all of the consequences that follow. They are immensely loyal to all of those in their care, to everyone that they are responsible for. They remain fiercely true. Okay. Fierce. That's Oscar. That's my dog. Fierce. Oh, You're a fierce boy. You. He's a little samurai. Okay. <clears throat> oh, can we get him a little armor? Oh, la- I feel like that might be cultural appropriation. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> the last one is. <laughs> can we just get him a sword? We'll just get him a sword, yeah. <laughs> Also, probably. Here's some biscuits. <laughs> yes, biscuits. Um, yeah. The last one is self-control. And there's no like accompanying explanation with that, which I love. It's just like, yeah. cop out yourself. Yeah. Okay. Um. So yeah, that's the Bushido. They're heavily associated with that. The next thing I was, <laughs> I wanted to go into like their kind of things that they're known for mm-hmm. Um. in battle. One is head collection. So collecting heads. Um, it's a great old pastime. Isn't it, it was seen as an honor, like you, like it was something that you tried to do in battle. If, and if you were, we'll say you knew you were going to lose, you wouldn't mind your head necessarily being collected by the enemy in the sense that you knew that it kind of meant that they had a kind of a grudging respect mm. for you. But then they kind of humiliated the head. So yeah. I, I don't know. It's kind of so, like, how many heads do you have? Five. <laughs> 17. Okay. <laughs> so there was a whole ritual to beautify the severed heads. Oh, okay. because you wanted to show off. Okay, oh. so first you wash them, and and it says here they were combed, which is just just imagine you know those dolls. Do you remember when you were young and you, they just had the head dolls? Yeah, and you, could, you could play with like, the hair. Yeah, that's I what I was imagining. Mine. Yeah, but you see, once you cut it, you could never grow get back. It back. So yeah, once this was done, the teeth were blackened. Oh. By applying a dye. So the reason for blackening the teeth was that white teeth were seen as a sign of distinction. So applying a dye to darken them was a desecration. That's so gross. Mm-hmm. The heads were carefully arranged on a table for exposure. I'm just imagining them being like, <laughs> just laying them all out. Like, yeah. Just circle of heads. <laughs> just, <laughs> oh my God. 
Um, okay. I would have plaited mine. Yeah, I probably would have put a plait in the hair and yeah. done one of those like front braids. You know, the ones like the one, oh, yeah. the halo kind of braids. Oh, one, I something like, like it. That, I would have been I nice. given mine pigtails or something. Yeah. Or, I don't know. This is getting weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> hair straightening. <laughs> and blow drying. <laughs> blow drying straight. Curling out the Adding tongue. some colour. GHD curls. Okay. <laughs> Like, I right. think I think their head looks better with red hair. No, I think it looks better oh with blonde. Oh my god! Okay, I'll give it an ombre. Yeah, a bit or balayage. <laughs> really brings out the eyes. But daddy, his eyes are missing. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just gonna stop now. Stop. Um, the next one. They were trained in martial arts as well, of course, because um, if you lose your sword, well, it's it's interesting. The martial art they were trained in is called jujutsu. Now, it's not jujitsu. No, it's jujitsu. Jujitsu is a derivation yeah. of jujitsu. So, okay. br- jujitsu is associated with Brazil. Yeah. So, Brazilian jujitsu, but it's heavily influenced by this. Mm-hmm. Jujitsu is pretty much the same thing. It's it's um grappling. Like it's yeah. a lot of like you're basically learning to disarm somebody who has a weapon. Mm-hmm. So, if you're a samurai and you've been disarmed, so your sword has been knocked away, you need to learn how to defend yourself without your weapons. But also it jujutsu rose to prominence because of people trying to fight samurais because samurais oh. had so many weapons. People were like, how the hell do I defend myself against them? So, it was to subdue armed opponents. And because the um the samurai is wearing extremely heavy armor, there's no point attacking them necessarily with with anything because they're you're not going to hit them. Mm-hmm. So um, jujutsu is a, a kind of about grappling. Now, <clears throat> of course, samurais are much more heavily associated with their weapons of the swords, and that the sword fighting art is called kinjutsu. So kinjutsu so cool. is their really cool, like um mm-hmm. yeah, the sword fighting. Um, they're also trained really heavily um, to how to use a bow and arrow oh. as well. Like I read stuff like they had to learn how to dive. They had to learn how to swim really well. They like mm. their training was in ultimate warriors. Yeah. Um, except for the ultimate warrior RIP. Okay. <laughs> the, um, the thing I have to get to this because I think it's the thing that they're probably most famous for. It's a little bit dark. So I'm just going to give a little trigger warning here to anybody who might want to skip forward a couple of minutes. Um, a fair few minutes actually because I realise I have so much on this so I apologise in advance but I just found this so interesting mm-hmm. super dark but really interesting um, and that of course is seppuku um, foreigners often call it harakiri so harakiri um, seppuku kind of the same thing and that is their ritual suicide by disembowelment <clears throat> okay so as a samurai practice seppuku was used voluntarily by samurai to die with honour rather than fall into the hands of their enemies because you know they might be tortured uh it was also used as a form of capital punishment for samurai who had committed pretty serious (coughs) offenses like they you know created an offense like or committed an offense such as caring too much or yes yes you weren't supposed to care but you did you're meant to do it they're just watching like the end of the notebook and one of them is crying yeah and they're like oh my god you're caring (laughs) time for you (laughs) to go do some seppuku just taking out the sword yes pointing outside okay um so uh the the ceremonial disembowelment which is usually part of it was a very elaborate ritual so it was very it was ritualistic it was all it was Mm. watched and it was really respected it was performed in front of spectators it consisted of plunging the short blade so um the tanta was another name for the short blade i mentioned earlier the companion piece to the katana Mm. so they'd take that piece you would uh, stick it into the belly, you'd draw the blade from left to right, Ooh. slice the belly open, 
If the cut is deep enough, it could sever the abdominal aorta. And you would die by blood loss. But if it wasn't, uh, I'll get to that in a second. Um, (sighs) The most common form of seppuku for men who was composed of the cutting of the abdomen. Mm. And when the samurai was finished, he stretched his neck out for an assistant to sever his spinal cord. So the assistant would decapitate the samurai in one swing. So that's what you try to do. You try to do it in one swing. Otherwise, it would bring great shame to the assistant and his family. Oh, for God's sake. He's like, oh, now I've got to commit seppuku. And it just goes on and on and on. Um, Yeah, he had to. Now, I will say that scene in... um, the last summary is pretty cool. Like, mm-hmm. um, and when he's coming in first to the, when he's been captured, he which he witnesses um this happening. Yeah. Um, and it it's supposed to be a way to die with honor. I'm going to read out an eyewitness account written by the British ambassador Algernon Freeman Mitford. Cool. He wrote this in the 1860s. He witnessed one of these, and <clears throat> this is really really cool. So, um, I'll read this out. It's a little um <clears throat> gritty. But uh, just, yeah, yeah cool. that's what we like. So the ceremony, which was ordered by the Mikado, which was the Japanese word for emperor. I only found that out the other day and I was like, oh my God, we've been talking about Kimberly Mikado biscuits <laughs> for so long. And I never knew the origin of that word. So I was like, this is amazing. Okay. It took place at 10.30 at night in the temple of Sefukuji, I think, the headquarters of the Satsuma troops at Hyogo. A witness was sent from each of the foreign legations. We were seven foreigners in all. Okay. <clears throat> now, um, after another profound obeisance, Taki Zenzaburo, in a voice which betrayed just so much emotion and hesitation as might be expected from a man who was making a painful confession, but with no sign of either in his face or manner, uh, spoke as follows. I and I alone unwarrantably gave the order to fire on the foreigners at Kobe and again as they tried to escape. For this crime I disembowel myself and I beg you who are present to do me the honour of witnessing the act. Bowing once more, the speaker allowed his upper garments to slip down to his girdle and remain naked to the waist. Carefully, according to custom, he tucked his sleeves under his knees to prevent himself from falling backwards, for a noble Japanese gentleman should die falling forwards. Deliberately, with a steady hand, he took the dirk that lay before him. He looked at it wistfully, almost affectionately. For a moment, he seemed to collect his thoughts for the last time. And then stabbing himself deeply below the waist on the left-hand side, he drew the dirk slowly across to the right side and turning it in the wound, gave a slight cut upwards. During this sickeningly painful operation, he never moved a muscle of his face. When he drew out the dirk, he leaned forward and stretched out his neck, an expression of pain for the first time crossed his face, but he uttered no sound. At that moment, the Kaishaku, who still crouching by his side, had been keenly watching his every movement, sprang to his feet, poised his sword for a second in the air. There was a flash, a heavy, ugly thud, a crashing fall, with one blow of the head had been severed from the body. A dead silence followed, broken only by the hideous noise of the blood throbbing out of the inept, inert sorry, heap before us, which but a moment before had been a brave and chivalrous man. It was horrible. Kaishaku made a a low bow, wiped his sword with a piece of rice paper, which he had ready for the purpose, and retired from the raised floor, and the stained dark was solemnly borne away, a bloody proof of the execution. The two representatives of the Mikado then left their places, and, crossing over to where the foreign witnesses sat, called us to witness that the sentence of death upon Taki Zinzaburo had been faithfully carried out. The ceremony being at an end, we left the temple. The ceremony, to which the place and the hour gave an additional solemnity, was characterised through out by that extreme dignity 
which are the distinctive marks of the proceedings of Japanese gentlemen of rank. And it is important to note this fact because it carries with it the conviction that the dead man was indeed the officer who had committed the crime and no substitute. While profoundly impressed by the terrible scene, it was impossible at the same time not to be filled with admiration of the firm and manly bearing of the sufferer and of the nerve with which the Kaish Haku, sorry, performed his last duty to his master. Wow. Okay. Um, wow. <clears throat> yeah, it's like, it's, it's so emotional. Hot. It's yeah. horrible. And there has been examples of this being committed as recently as 2001. Now, Gosh. not by, obviously it was re- reserved for the samurai, but mm-hmm. when the samurai kind of started to die off after, um, apologies, that's my mom. Hi, mom. Um, when the samurai, when the feudal classes were um, abolished after mm-hmm. the restoration in 1868, there was still, it just shows that it kind of passed into um, Japanese practice. So mm-hmm. a guy by the name of Isao Inakumo, uh, who was a gold medal Olympian in judo, he did it in 2001. He he committed oh. seppuku, yeah. Um, I think he was in financial trouble or something like that. But yeah, so like recent enough. Um, so everything I read there is super dark, right? We had the martial arts, the collecting heads, the seppuku, the, um, all of that. But this is probably my favorite fact about the samurais, that they were massive into tea parties. They loved. That's unexpected. It's just so funny. They well, it's it's beautiful. Like they loved tea ceremonies. So, um, Would you like to go for a cup of tea. Yes. This is it. Like yes. so, they well, leave your sword at the door. <laughs> <laughs> they drank um matcha tea, so we, which is obviously mm. still drunk around the world today. Um, it was a status symbol, but also peaceful. So it was a way to like you come mm. home from your long day of chopping off people's heads yeah. and whatever, and you're like, I need a little bit of inner peace right now. Clear the um, table of all the heads that you already yeah. have. So you sit down and you have this very relaxing tea ceremony. With your friends? Um, yes. And nice. it was um, like, it was, a, it was a status symbol. You could be really good. At, and it was, it was a male thing. You could be really good at putting this together. Like you might have, you know, your friend who's the best at slicing off people's heads with his katana, but he could also lay out the table really well with a little biscuit on the side oh, yeah. for and, dipping. And a little Mikado. Yeah. And you could be like, wow, he's amazing. Not yeah. only is he brave in battle, but he makes a mean cup of tea. And then they spill the tea together. And um, no, it was, I think it's it's really beautiful. Um, okay, some famous samurai. Um, there were female samurai, but very early on. So the women's job later on, kind of during the kind of... Um, the later periods became to be subservient to their husbands and they didn't typically involve themselves in battle. But in the very beginning, kind of at the start of the feudal um, system in the kind of early uh, 1100s, um, the 12th century, you had somebody called Tomu Gozen. Now she's really well known and she features in so many um, games. I'm trying to think, what was that game? Tushima, Ghosts of Tushima, is it? That game last year. There's a character in that anyway called I think it's Tomo or Gozen or something. So oh, it's named after her. So she was a very famous female samurai in the late 12th century. <clears throat> she is amazing. If you have time, go out and read about her because, oh my God, she's just class. She was just out there beheading men and just doing her just thing. doing her thing. She's going home, having some tea. She was just, she was some, some Mikados. Uh, the most famous samurai, I've referenced him a million times, Miyamoto Musashi. Uh, lived from 1584 to 1645. He was undefeated in 61 duels. Wow. Now he was a Ronin as well, which makes him even more interesting. He's famous for writing the book, uh, The Book of Five Rings or Gorin No Sho. It, I started reading it earlier. It's amazing. Yeah. It's an incredible book. Yeah. It's kind of like 
the art of war a little bit you know it's okay. kind of it's really cool um he was the guy who started was the kind of the progenitor of kenjutsu so he's the of the two swords and mm. he's just amazing there's a little story here that i have about him that just will tell you just how um badass this guy was in 1596 mushashi was 13 and Amira Kihei, who was traveling to hone his art, posted a public challenge. So Mushashi wrote his name on the challenge. <clears throat> now remember, he's only 13. A messenger came to Doran's temple where Mushashi was staying to inform Mushashi that his duel had been accepted by Kihei. Doran was Mushashi's uncle and he was shocked by this and he tried to beg the duel off the duel in Mushashi's name based on his nephew's age. Kihei was adamant that the only way his honour could be cleared was if Mushashi apologised to him when the duel was scheduled. So when the time set for the duel arrived, Doran began apologising for Mushashi, who merely charged at Kihei with a six-foot quarterstaff, shouting a challenge to Kihei. Kihei attacked with a wazi, the, the, the wacky zashi, the, the smaller sword. But Mushashi threw Kihei on the floor, and while Kihei tried to get up, Mushashi struck... Um, um, <laughs> struck him between the eyes and then beat him to death okay <clears throat> 13 year old child yes and <clears throat> he was um, Kihei was said to have been arrogant overly eager to battle and not a terribly talented swordsman so that's just the start of his incredibly successful career as a samurai he okay. was supposed to never take baths because he never wanted to be left um, vulnerable mm-hmm. somebody could sneak up on him you know um, so he was he was he was one of the reasons he was probably quite successful you were probably like don't want to be going near you there I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm allergic <laughs> now I'm nearly done I promise the other person then who came to, like I was thinking of all this stuff and I was thinking of one character that I had heard of which is somebody called Hattori Hanzo and mm-hmm. I'd heard of Hattori Hanzo because yeah. when, when I was watching Kill Bill, Kill Bill yeah. for the thousandth time um, I remember googling the name because I was like oh I wonder is this a real person and then I found out yes Hattori Hanzo did exist and when I was reading um, I knew that he had been a samurai but he, it also says he was a ninja and I was like oh so I was wondering what the difference between samurais and ninjas because Hattori Hanzo is probably the most famous ninja mm-hmm. that's ever lived Yeah, um, Hattori Hanzo lived from 1542 to 1596 around the same time as just the previous guy there Um, so he was a samurai but he was also a ninja or shinobi as they're called in Japan during the Sengoku era now um I'll get to that in a second, why they sprung up during the Sengoku era. The ninjas were also around during the feudal period, but as mercenaries. So they weren't f- loyal to anybody. They were mercenaries. So there's no sense of like filial loyalty or mm. uh, loyalty to a lord or, or they're not vassals. They're cool. nothing. They're total mercenaries. They're not answerable to any, the, pers- the, per- the person who's paying them, essentially. Now, their covert methods of waging kind of irregular warfare, they were deemed dishonourable and beneath the honour of the samurai because the samurai is following the Bushido code um, and they're, they they can't do certain things. You can't be sneaky if you're a samurai. You can't. Mm. A, a samurai is about being brave and courageous and battling out in the open. But sometimes the samurai would hire ninjas because it'd be like, I can't do it. But doesn't yeah, mean the I, can, doesn't yeah. the ninja can. Exactly. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> now, the Sengoku era was a particularly violent period in Japanese history. It was just full of civil war. And because samurais are so honourable, even though they're very, very violent and they're very brave and all of that, if you are, you kind of need, um, you needed mercenaries. So ninjas started to spring up and started to be almost more, useful in some ways mm. um now the samurai also associated with kind of an upper class thing whereas the ninjas are were lower class were they were Peasants. so you didn't have to pay them as much mm. um they were looking for work they were willing to do it 
they were incredibly good at sneaking around. So it was all about spying. It was about espionage. Um, they were sneaky. Uh, they were so good at the sneaking around that castles began adding like they're called nightingale floors they're like really creaky wooden floors oh clever and like throwing like gravel around so you could hear because they were just that sneaky there is a great scene in The Last Samurai where um they're attacked by ninjas in the samurai village and it is a really cool scene um did they wear black possibly some people say yes some people say no black seems like the obvious choice because yeah, it's in the you dark. blend in but other people are saying like if you want to blend in you dress as a civilian don't be going around like oh, yeah. dressing all black with your face covered Me in my like, head i was like dress as the same color <clears throat> as a tree but anyway <laughs> i wouldn't have fared well just a tree in just... samurai feudal japan <laughs> now the coolest thing in the whole world and this is what i'm going to end on is their weaponry their weaponry mm-hmm. is just as amazing as you'd imagine they had um grappling hooks okay like those things that you'd like throw like and like climb yeah. something with they had something called mizugumu which these were wooden shoes for walking on water i would just imagine them being like <laughs> really slowly like just gonna get oh now, my god that was on an episode of mythbusters oh i know them yeah 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 they have the platform kind of yeah yeah but uh, mythbusters busted the myth that they could walk on water but they said potentially on like you know like marshes or like rice mm. fields perhaps yeah. okay they also carried around katanas uh, they, one of their coolest weapons is something called uh, the Kusarigama. So it's a chain and a sickle. The weapon consisted oh, of a weight yeah. on one end of a chain and a sickle on the other. The weight was swung like a mace to mm. injure or disable an opponent and the sickle was used to kill at close range. It's sick. If you look it up, it's so cool. They had poison darts. Hell yes. They had, this is one of my favourites, uh, the Hapo. So the hapo was a small kind of like container. It says eggshell here, but it could be anything with blinding powder, which is called Metsubushi. And you could essentially just like somebody's in your face and you want to get rid of them. You just blow the the, the dust into their face and the blinding powder and you just run off. Run away. And the last thing they had shuriken which are death stars so the ninjas genuinely had death stars i love this i just love the idea of them just throwing like death stars and just like hopefully hitting their opponent so cool so yeah you know that south park episode where the boys they buy you know the one um hey hey let's go um the ninja star and that one or sorry what's called death stars it's such a cool name as well death star yeah, it's well, like, they're actually the the Jap- we I think Westerners gave them that name. Oh. They're uh, the Japanese call them shuriken, shuriken. shuriken. Um, but yeah, so, so that's my cool. that's all my ninja samurai stuff today, which is just super cool. It's I, incredible. Yeah, I love they're, the account they're super that you cool. read out the the primary account that you read. From yeah, it's really cool. It is really. It's, it's very sad, like, but it's cool. Yeah, it's so raw. It's so real. Mm. It's but terrifying. it would have been seen as very honourable then as well. You know, I just don't think I could be a spectator to something like that. I just can't imagine myself oh back then. I can't even, if somebody gets like a, like a, a paper cut. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I'd be like, no. I did. I got a paper cut recently at work and I washed my hands with the sanitizer straight after it. Yeah. Oh, see? I like that we're more disturbed by that than yeah, we are talking about painful. the ritual suicide. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like that's more disturbing to us. It was like, horrific. Oh. It was horrific. Um, Absolutely fascinating. Um, I think I you. did. I knew that ninjas kind of rose up from the peasantry to some yeah. extent i knew some parts of that um it makes a lot of sense that they would have dressed in civilian clothing um there's yeah. me thinking that they dress up in like camouflage or you know branches well, there, in them is, or there is some evidence to show they might have dressed in black as well and they might have worn the traditional outfits we associate mm. them with but like 
there there's not a lot written about the ninjas of course there's not because the samurai would have been more seen as they're more romanticized because yeah. they're upper class as well because they've the, the bushido the code of honor mm. ninjas have no such thing ninjas were just like a gorilla give warfare. me money and i'll kill whoever you want me to kill but no less skilled like amazingly skilled just um just not particularly like they're not seen as being moral or yeah 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 their, their etiquette is just like but it is worth saying that in Japan, there is kind of, there's the reality around some samurais is that, yeah, that they were, while amazing and fascinating, that there is a lot of, we have romanticized them quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder are there any ninjas out there today? There is, I read this hilarious fact. There's a place in the world, I assume it's in Japan, where you can do ninja studies. Now, you're not training to be a ninja because I checked this like out. Naruto. And uh, you're learning about ninjas. Oh, okay. But and I think it's to- a master's degree. and every year only three people usually start the course and somebody (laughs) did finish it with a master's degree but you have to like it's i mean i'll check out the information and i'll post it i want to do a master's in ninja imagine now you won't be a ninja at the end of it i think it's worth pointing that out to anybody listening to this who's like booking their plane tickets to japan you won't be a ninja at the end of it you'll have a master's degree in ninja studies So that's very different <laughs> to becoming a ninja. But you can okay. still pretend to be after it. You know so much that maybe you could apply yeah, your knowledge. I, and, just... and you do like to even get on the course, you have to like pass a test and stuff. And it's very oh, like competitive. Yeah, Imagine they true. make you sneak to your exams. Imagine they're like. <laughs> and take out the lecturer. You have to like, yeah, you have to like <laughs> throw death stars. You have and to like, hit targets. Imagine, or so, your pen is actually a poison dart. And you're like... <laughs> Okay. While someone's correcting your your essay or your exam, I'm so sorry. We're almost we're forty minutes in, and I've just it's taken cool. Up, I've it's taken cool. Up the whole I podcast. loved every I second of it. Don't apologize, girl. That was amazing. Curse you, Tom Cruise and the Last yeah, Samurai. It was just curse you. No, it was a class film, but I get what you're saying. White saviorism. Oh with god, that. it's Tom, just yeah. It's Tommy entertaining. Cruise. Tommy Cruise. It's like when I when I watched Memoirs of a Geisha, and I realized that most no, of the no, I can't go there. Most of the the central or the actresses in it are actually Chinese. They're not Japanese, and it's everything is a lie. Yeah, everything is a lie. Anyway, okay. But my topic today isn't a lie. Oh, I'm and excited because pretty... I actually have no idea what you're doing. Ooh, well, let me entertain you. Okay, so <laughs> that's the uh, the B side to Robbie Williams. Let me entertain you. <laughs> <laughs> his voice oh. I don't know I'm, I'm going across very cranky today because I'm just giving out about everything but ah. just you've just hit on the things like that I dislike dog man just and <laughs> in case anyone doesn't get that reference please look up psycho dog man on YouTube um okay so obviously these poor you know the the poor Japanese samurais that had to live with honor and simpoku themselves um they lived in a time where you know anesthetic didn't really exist yeah. And well, we're very lucky, aren't we? We we live in a lovely time where, you know, you need to get your tooth out. Oh, the you know, the dentist will pop a bit of a the old anesthetic into the mouth, you know what I'm saying? Or your mom will tie your tooth to Ooh, the car or a door. To a door and, and just, close it. Just Mam Mam didn't do that, I'm told. Yeah. <laughs> but I know that like uh, my my one of my brothers did that to a wart I had on my knee. Oh stop. Oh my god. Tied no. a string and just plucked stop. it off. I'm sorry. <laughs> Again, I would prefer to put, talk about ritual disembowelment <laughs> than you removing warts from your body. It was just one wart. It was just one time. <laughs> but the point Just read is... your piece. <laughs> <laughs> but the point... Oh no, the cough. <coughs> I apologise to everyone Bless for you. that cough. Do you want me to it's... get you a glass of water? I'm okay, my love. Thank you. I can make it. I can do it. 
Um, but basically, yeah, we live in a very, very fortunate time where medicine, of course, is excelled to the point where we don't feel pain if we have to go for an operation or get a tooth out or get a wart pulled off or, you know. So basically, for, for today's topic, I'm jumping back into a time where, you know, the wonders of Anastasia and modern technology don't exist. Um, Anastasia? The wonders of Anastasia. <laughs> I'm not alone. Set me free. Let me out this misery. Um, I meant okay. anesthesia. <laughs> Today I found out I could imitate anesthesia. Okay, go on. Can't wait for Sorry. you to drive yourself to work tomorrow. Like, I feel just imitating myself the whole way to work. <laughs> I think the wart thing just got to you. Um, I feel really bold because you were so good during my story and I'm like the kid, you know, when you finished and you're just like, I'm, I'm <laughs> that one student. I'm just here to cause trouble. Legs. No, I'm not. I'm just shutting up. I'm shutting up. Well, Sorry. I'm going back to a very hauntish historical time. Uh, yes. Where that stuff doesn't really exist. I'm going back yes. to the Victorian era. Oh, those mad lads. Do, 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 do. Bit of Stone, Stone Cold, Cold Steve <laughs> Oh, we've just gone rogue today. Well, what better historical figure to be talking about today when it comes to medicine and surgery during the Victorian era than by a man called Robert Liston. Oh, Liston Varma. I knew it was going there. I knew it was. There's so, there's so, so much, much editing. <laughs> We're not going to We're not going to We never do. We always say it and then we don't do it because we're too easy. I think people appreciate this. We're human. We're real. Um, but why this guy? Okay, why am I talking about this guy? Well, what's really special about this guy is that he was a very famous surgeon during the Victorian era. And to understand him a little be- better, we just I'll just give some background info about him. Mm-hmm. Um, old Robert Lishton was born in Scotland in a place called... Eclesmachan. Okay, I can't really pronounce that correctly. I apologize to all Scottish people, including my ancestors, for the mispronunciations, as usual. Um, he was the son of a lady by the name of Margaret Ireland, who is not from Ireland. Uh, but rather, she was from a place called Colross in Scotland, uh-huh. where many episodes of Outlander have been filmed. And this is according to an internet research while I was gathering all my information. <laughs> and I have not watched Outlander. So what's the point in saying it? Well, maybe some of the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> the most pointless part ever. This is me filling in information to my essay. This <laughs> is me reaching the word count. <laughs> Oh, that was brilliant. And then Robert's daddy was a man by the name of Reverend Henry Lishton, who was a clergyman and an inventor. And he was from Edinburgh. And his granddaddy was also called Robert Lishton, who was the moderator of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland. Okay, at one point. Anyway, let's get back to to Bobby Lishton. So, young Robert, um, in his childhood, he would have received an education from both uh, his school in his local village and also his father, where soon after um, he would actually start um, studying medicine mm. at the University of Edinburgh. I wonder why it's not Bobberts. Bobbert or Bobby Jr. Like, why does it become Roberts? Why not Bobberts? Does Bobbert just sound bad? I, I think don't know. if you just say Bob, Robert, it sounds nice. No, why is it not? These are the Bobberts. questions that keep you up at These night. These are things I honestly, like <laughs> the time I had, well to, I had to try and figure out if penguins had knees. At <laughs> <laughs> four o'clock in the morning, I was like, I can't, I can't You're leaving me an audio in the morning. You're like, I didn't sleep very well last night. Did you have knees? <laughs> the penguin life? thoughts were keeping me awake again. So he's doing medicine. He's doing medicine. So he studied medicine at the University of Edinburgh okay. uh, in 1808. Okay. Cool. So I better give you guys an all, you know, an all account there of what time uh, frame we're in. Yeah. Anyway. 
After studying medicine, he found his niche. Uh, so between 1810 and 1816, he would team up and train alongside prominent figures such as Dr. John Barclay in medicine, uh, where that would have been occurring at the medicine school in London. Mm-hmm. And John Barclay was a very famous um, anatomist. All right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, in 1816, um, Robert returns to Edinburgh where he was living at 95 Princess Street, very close to the famous Edinburgh Castle. Um, It's a beautiful location. I Mm -hmm. would encourage anybody that has not had the opportunity to visit Edinburgh to certainly visit Edinburgh. Um, That's where all those young ones be going off getting their swords for their rooms because of Braveheart. You'd be walking along the cobble streets and you just see loads of swords and windows. I remember this. See, um, it's okay if it's not cultural appropriation if you're not buying a katana you're okay with me i don't i don't mind just you know imagine like i just have like a hot press full of katanas at home and they all just come shingling out from the hot press when i get the towels if, I, if you're, i'm like see yeah uh, sorry where's your bathroom and i just <laughs> <laughs> ding, 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 ding. that's all the katanas falling out <laughs> four years later while he's back in edinburgh he marries the daughter of adam crawford okay so this is just a famous wine merchant there But um, anyway, let's go back to this niche I'm talking about, right? Let's just keep things a bit coherent. Well, in 1818, um, Robert became a house surgeon, okay, in the Royal Infirmary of Edinburgh under a guy called Dr. George Bell. Does a house surgeon just mean that you're like, that's where you're... Kind of doing some things. Yeah, Hmm. we're getting there. Okay. We're getting there. You're on the right track. Um, but there was a bit of an incident between him and George. Basically, uh, Liston, he was dismissed in 1822 from being a house surgeon due to disagreements with Bell. And uh, he wasn't reinstated into the practice until 1827. Um, so there was eventually, he did get promoted to the position of an operating surgeon. So Liston essentially becomes very famous. Okay, He becomes a very famous surgeon throughout all of Britain. And he actually became very well known for his speedy skills in operating amputations on patients. Now, remember, you know, I I commented on the Victorian era as being creepy already. For for me personally, it's just creepy. It's amazing, but it's also, maybe it's just because of the distortion that those films give me, you know, those vibes. No, they were really, like, fascinated by death and kind of like the macabre. Yeah, just crazy, crazy. But listen, any amputation that he was performing would have been without the patient being under the influence of anesthesia. 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 <laughs> just like, you just lie down on the table. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder if you know oh, how really it feels to be left outside alone. <laughs> There's no anesthesia out here. <laughs> out here. Yeah. Okay. I'm in pain. <laughs> Ana- anesthesia. <laughs> It shall be the name of my firstborn. (laughs) Imagine me at the dentist. Please, can you give me some anesthesia, please? And they're like, okay. (laughs) They bring in, they put anesthesia on the radio. (laughs) They're like, it's a bizarre request, but okay. (laughs) Proceeds to pull teeth. So, yeah, so again, anyway, um, Liston was very, very quick with a scalpel, okay? In fact, this man was so quick at amputating people's body parts that he had been timed at amputating a patient's leg in two and a half minutes flat. Lift it! I'm just imagining him with a katana. Just <laughs> he just, he's like, oh, I forgot my scalpel. I'll just go upstairs to my wall where I have it mounted. Yes, oh my with my PlayStation. Does he have like a machete or something? Um, it was just a little scalpel. 
He was just so efficient and <laughs> quick and crazy with it. And two and a half minutes to take off your leg. You know what I mean? Oh my God. But imagine two- the pain without an anesthetic. You have me. <laughs> I can't. But imagine the pain you'd be in. Yeah, it's horrific. Because these were the times where surgeries were also observed by multiple people. So you'd have people watching you as well around in a gallery. Oh, I couldn't. Yeah. You know, those creepy old photos, you know, where like all these doctors are just surrounding a patient and, or they're not even photos, they're like paintings, but even the patient Mm. is looking at you from the, from the picture. It's quite disturbing. Yeah. Um, But yeah, not for me. Not for me. (laughs) Anyway, just to describe, give you an all description of Liston. He was six foot two. Um, and he operated in a bottle green coat with Wellington boots. So he was kind of like, you know, your modern day piggery farmer. Um, he's, he would spring across tables or bloodstained boards upon his swooning, sweating, strapped down patient like a duelist, calling, time me, gentlemen, time me, uh, to students craning with pocket watches from the iron, you know, railing g- galleries. And um, everyone swore that the first flash of his knife was followed so swiftly by the rasp of saw on bone oh. that sight and sound seemed simultaneous. To free both hands, he would clasp the bloody knife between his teeth. However, it should go without saying that occasionally... Liston's speed and showmanship were a hindrance to his operations. <laughs> we're getting to the juicy piece now, oh Nike. God, imagine he chopped off like the wrong leg or something. Uh, you're not too far off, girl. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Now, here's one of my favourite parts of researching this man, okay? Having been known as the fastest surgeon of his time, Liston is also famous for performing the only operation with a 300% mortality rate. So what does that mean? How? Okay. <laughs> well, let's just uh, have an all jump in there now to let you all know what's going on. So basically, Liston was performing a leg amputation yeah. on a very conscious patient yeah. who was lying flat on his operating table, right? Okay. As he brought down his knife, he was so focused on his speed that he took his surgical assistant's fingers off along with the patient's leg. As he swung the knife back up, it clipped a spectator's coattail and he collapsed dead. (gasps) The conscious patient and Liston's assistant both died after their wounds became infected and the spectator who collapsed was later discovered to have died of fright. The three deaths made Liston's surgery the only one on record with a 300% mortality rate. That's a bad day at the office. Yeah, in front of everybody as well. That's just you know, awkward. So embarrassing. And, you know, though the three deaths were by far the most notable of his career, they weren't the only time Liston oh gained God. infamy for a less than successful surgery. Oh, Liston. Okay, this is about to get icky. So, for example, while amputating another patient's leg, he broke his personal record by finishing the surgery in two and a half minutes. So this is the famous one. However, in the interest of speed... He got a little too excited and chopped off the patient's testicles along with the leg. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure as to whether the patient survived people, but I'm sure there was some kind of like compensation, surely. I it's mean. Like, Here are your testicles back, sir. Your and, man's just like, wait a minute, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't ask for this. You didn't tell me there was something wrong down there. Oh my yeah. God. Took his testicles clean Oh my off. God. How? Like, how? Just, he was so quick. At what he did, like he was so fast and showmanship and all these factors. But like if he's using a scalpel. Oh yeah, it's a very sharp scalpel. But like ha- scalpels are small. 
So how are you like, you know He's what I mean? Swishing and... Like it just makes no sense. It's horrific. It's horrific when you think about God. it. But also, he once mistook a lump in a boy, a young boy's neck for a skin tag. Oh dear God. And he removed it suddenly at the boy's home. Okay. The lump turned out to be an aneurysm of his carotid artery and the boy died. Oh, dear God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this guy wasn't perfect, you know? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Anyway, eventually, Anesthesia, not Anesthesia, she would only kind of show up there in the early 2000s. Um, Anesthesia eventually, you know, came into the frame, you know, in medicine and things. And eventually he worked, I think it was in 1840, or in the early 1840s, he was able to really become a more successful surgeon. Well, I would that. hope so. Mm-hmm. But the the irony is, and I'll end it at this, is that, you know, oh, but he was also the first, by the way, just to clarify, Liston was the first surgeon to operate with anesthesia as well. Okay, anesthesia, not alongside anesthesia. <laughs> Pass me the scalpel, She's anesthesia. <laughs> and here you go. Here's a scalpel. <laughs> um, despite his downfalls, right? Liston remained a distinguished surgeon. But uh, he died in uh, 1847 on uh, 7th of, or December 7th. And do you want to know how he died? Did he accidentally chop his own legs off or something? No, he had an aneurysm. Oh. Yeah. So that little boy just came along maybe as a spirit and was just like, ha, ha, ha. Now you know how it feels. Oh my God. Jimmy, that's so sad alone <laughs> when it's cold out here. Um, that I is suppose... the story of Robbie Liston. Liston, wow. Liston Verna. Like, yeah. I guess, yeah, if there's no anesthetic, you're wanting to make it as quick as possible yeah because the the patients would bleed out that was the point but you would think that accuracy would also be quite important it would be but again mm. when you've got a million eyes on you and you know <laughs> you've just gotta the pressure it's, it's you know when pressure. you're parallel parking in town and there's a huge queue behind you just watching you and you're like oh my I always make such a bags of it because i'm like everyone is looking at me <laughs> And then you kind of pretend like, no, actually, I don't, I don't want that space. It's fine. Yeah. And you just yeah, drive off. You drive on. I, yeah. Or it's like being in Lidl where, you know, there's a rake of customers oh watching God. you pack your bags. And, and you, even you don't have it. You don't it. You can't go to the window because you don't have a trolley with you. Yeah. So you're like, I have to like pack, pack, pack really yeah. quick. I get, it's the worst anxiety <clears throat> of my life. It's horrible. Little anxiety, yeah. Aldi anxiety. And when they, then they start swiping through the next stuff and you're like, oh my God, it's not finished. falling on top of your stuff. You're nearly packing yeah. in their stuff. And even the, 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 I was about to say, the patient, the other customer behind you is like shuffling towards you. I'm actually you. getting anxiety now I know, this. yeah. It's been a yeah. dark, dark episode. It really has. It's been so dark. I learned the most frightening thing in this episode has been the anxiety at the counter a little when, yeah. you, when you can't yeah. pack your stuff away fast enough. One day, maybe future historians might use this podcast as a primary source. Yeah. And, you know, these for, are the things that people in our society worry yeah, about. In the year 2021. Yeah. This is what we were freaked out by. Absolutely. Oh, elevators. Yeah. When someone is walking towards you and the door is going to close and you're not Ooh. really sure if you should open it or not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I usually, oh, that's one. Yeah. yeah well, before yeah. COVID, now with COVID, I'm like, bye, because I'm not sharing an elevator with you. But like before then, it was like, <laughs> this is awkward, especially if they're really far away. You're like, do I keep it open? <laughs> do I close it? Do If I, you know what I mean? It was just, yeah. Or when you say you too to someone else. Yeah. You know, like, <clears throat> When someone says, hi, how are you? And you say, fine, thanks to you. And they go, grand. And then like, oh, what's it? No. Oh, yeah. At the at the um, cinema one night, the person behind the counter said, enjoy. And I said, you, you too. You too. Oh, my God. You went home and cried in the shower. And I was just like. 
<laughs> I died a little inside that night. Oh, sure. You know my um, story when I told that poor old man. Oh, my God. Please this. tell the story because it's just... Oh, it's really messed up. Just for the listeners, and I'm sure a few people that know me already know the story anyway, but I'll keep, I'll keep it short. I used to work in a shop in retail, and there was this old man that used to come in and use his debit card. Anybody that used a debit card, you know, when the machine was ready, I'd tell them, yeah, work away an hour. Yeah, go for it. And um, one day this elderly man came in and he was frail and he was buying his Brennans and his milk and I packed them into a bag for him and he was ready to pay. And I said, yeah. And I got the machine up for him and I just looked him dead in the eye and I said, now, work for it. And <laughs> the poor man. When he started like twerking. Dancing. <laughs> Dance for me, old man. Work okay. for it. Yeah, oh <laughs> Work for it so that you can pay. <laughs> like, but, but again, anxiety. Yeah. Anxiety. Yeah. You're not alone out there, people. You're yeah. not alone out there. We have there. all these little weird things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the parallel parking one is a strong one for me. That's my that's my talent. Parallel You're parking. You're pretty good at it. So is, so is Roisin, our, our friend. She's she's a good parallel What's parker. What's up, Roisin? I'm not terrible. Like, I have the I have the sensors and I have a camera You're really good. in my car. But, like, no, it's it's under pressure. Oh. I'm fine if there's no one there. Mm-hmm. There's a big queue of traffic behind me. I'm like, I'm going to make, I'm going to mess this up. And mm-hmm. then, like, I, I mess it up because I take too bad an angle or whatever. And then I have to be like, oh, my car doesn't fit anyway. <laughs> and then just drive off. <laughs> you give them an odd wave out the window. Yeah, just like, oh. I get really freaked out if there are people driving very quickly behind me while I'm in the fast lane you know um, yeah that, on the motorway. that's on the motorway when somebody is like really trying to like get you out of the way mm-hmm. and you're like I'm going the speed yeah, limit I, mean, I can't I can't, it's a geo. Yeah. <laughs> can't you you're make like, this thing go faster I can't faster? go any faster yeah. Oh, yeah it is it's just terrifying okay I'm sorry I went to do a spiel there no um, it's a beautiful I, I spiel I don't know how oh we were talking about him performing under pressure and we were saying it can be very under um, pressure intimidating with, with Anastasia with Anastasia yeah. watching you just <laughs> judging you as well probably writing a song about it <laughs> Oh, Anastasia. <laughs> um, I hope she's listening. Let's look her up. wonder how yeah, she is. She's doing good. I hope she is. She I is, liked yeah. her. Okay, we're going to wrap this one up because we're... We're, we're spieling. Oh, we're talking rubbish, but I mean, it's been one hour and one minute of talking rubbish. And we hope you That's enjoyed. Some, some good rubbish. Yeah. Really yeah. nice rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. Knowledgeable rubbish, I would like to think. Informative rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, we're, we're rating reviewers. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Oh, our competition closes on Wednesday. It's Ooh. a really good one. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd like to think that uh, some people are genuinely listening to the podcast now. For sure. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, to everyone who is listening, as always, we thank you so much because mm-hmm. it's really nice. And, and if, um, if you're not on Instagram, you know, just just give us a shout on Facebook. Yeah, at some point, those of you who are listening who are not on any social media, like, we'd like to get to know you. <laughs> um, Would you like to get just, to know us? <laughs> we want to be your friend. <laughs> We want friends. This is how needy we are. I think all we have is each other. I was going to say all we have is each other. She keeps joking that my mom pays her to be my friend. And I'm like, is it a joke anymore? I'm like, where did you Should I ring Marion? <laughs> I should ring Marion and just be like, ma'am. How know? much? How much are you paying her? She'd be like, 50. 50 a minute. <laughs> 50 a minute. <laughs> After like five o'clock, it's overtime. <laughs> And it's overtime right now. It's overtime <laughs> okay, right yeah, now. Yeah, we gotta go. We gotta go. We are talking crap. Okay, we love you all so much. Thanks for <laughs> listening. Oh, oh, you're getting I'm the old cough for you. Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, okay. It's a nice Sunday evening, so we're going to settle down now. Have a nice evening, everybody. Bye. Bye. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.